but I just thought this is kind of the next, the next series. The, the idea that God speaks and creation begins. You know, everything he, he speaks happens. He speaks things into existence. The first time we see God speaking in the Bible, he says, he's in darkness. He says, let there be light and there's light. God creates with his word. You know, Genesis tells us that. And so there is this thing called prophecy, and that is God speaking through us. So it speaks to us and, and through us. And I want to I delve into it. Uh, we're going to do a whole series on prophecy. Now, this is, I'm going to confess, a slightly controversial subject in today's church. I don't know why it is, but it is. And I get asked a lot uh, about what we believe, kind of the doctrine of the church, because we're non-denominational. You can't go look us up on a Wikipedia page. We should put a Wikipedia page, but we, we could, but we don't have one of those. Anyway, so people will ask, and usually I get asked this question, do you guys speak in tongues? That's like the number one question people want to know. I guess with a name like Spirit Chapel, you can kind of expect that. Uh, and, you know, just so you all know, our official position is we believe in speaking in tongues, but we don't believe in it in a public assembly. Because in, First Corinthian, in Corinthians 14, Paul says that we shouldn't have any times of chaos. And God's not a God of chaos. And so we, we wouldn't want that here. He actually says you shouldn't be having speaking in tongues unless people can understand it. So we don't believe in it here, but we believe in it. We believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and that makes us, some people think, well, that you're a Pentecostal church. But then if you look at the rest of our theology, we're very biblically based. We believe in the uh, authentic word of God and, and, that, and everything has to answer that. So we're a little bit of a blend. And that confuses people, which is good. You know, so they have to come to find out. But uh, I, I just kind of want to say this is kind of my view of the Bible. So I'm going to kind of quickly tell you in, in five slides the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Because this is really what it is. If you take all the way back, you take a look at the story of the Bible, and you'll see that uh, the Bible is a story of an active and interested creator. You know, not like some gods that create, you know, some religions and they're, they're not there or they're only there one day a week or something. And this is a very active and interested creator. The person, the being that we worship, uh, he is actively interested in his creation. He didn't just leave it alone. And uh, he actually wants an intimate and personal relationship with his creation. And not just like on a, you know, I'm going to talk to 12 people and they'll tell everybody else. He, he, everybody, you know, it says personal, very personal. And then from Genesis to Revelation, one thing that really remarks Judeo-Christian religion from other religions is God is actively speaking to his people. In fact, he approaches them. In every other religion, you have to find God. Uh, you know, Buddhism, you have to meditate, you know, and find the state of perfect nothingness and all these different things. You have to do all these things. Even uh, Islam is a very uh, works-oriented religion. And, and in order to get God to come to you, you have to do something. And in the Bible, really starting at the very beginning, he, he approaches us. You know, he approached Noah. He approached Abraham. He approached uh, David. And so uh, it's, a, it's a story of God coming to us and coming to us for the purpose of speaking to us. And I just, this is just kind of off the top of my head. This isn't a, a, a full list, but I want to show you about the people God, the Bible tells us God spoke to, actually literally spoke to. Of course, Adam and Eve, he was walking the garden with them. Everybody knows that. But he also speaks to Cain and by implication, Abel. But he speaks to Cain as well. We see that. Uh, he speaks to Abraham. Uh, that's kind of the beginning of, of the real story of the Old Testament it, because it kind of, everything pivots from that. Kind of before Abraham, everything's kind of historical. But Abraham really kind of becomes the active story. And then he speaks to his son, Jacob, and also his son, Isaac. Uh, skipping over some people, he did, you know, this list, um, like people like Joseph. I'm skipping him. Let's go to Moses. Of course, he speaks to Moses, who's the great deliverer. Moses is an interesting person because... Moses is symbolic of the law in the Bible. And just for those of you who read the Bible, uh, you know, the Israelites are the people that kind of 
keep disobeying God and keep disobeying. They're symbolic of us, just, just so you know. Every time, I, I've talked to people who are like really getting into reading the Old Testament. I said, man, I get so angry at the Israelites. They're just always so mean to God all the time. And, and I said, yeah, well, that's us. You know, whenever you get angry at the Israelites, take a, t- take a moment to pray for forgiveness for you because they have all of our, ca- all of our characteristics there. And Moses is symbolic of the law because he's the lawgiver. And the law will pull them out of bondage, but it can't get them to the promised land. If Moses doesn't make it in the promised land, when they get to the promised land, another person takes over. His name is Joshua. We say Joshua, but the Hebrew name is actually Yeshua, which is exactly the same Hebrew name that we'll see in the New Testament for Jesus. So we can see where he is. He takes him in the promised land, right? So that's the Old Testament lesson. And then uh, we continue on. Uh, Moses, after Moses, we see him speaking to Elijah. We see him speaking to Gideon. I talked about this, I think, last week, (coughs) how Gideon's hiding in, in fear and God shows up and calls him a mighty warrior. Um, he speaks to Samuel back when he's a little tiny boy, just a little tiny kid, about eight years old. He speaks to him. He speaks to David. Um, now, we don't really have a scripture saying specifically he spoke to David, but we have David saying he spoke to me. Uh, in Psalm 62, 11, for instance, David says, God spoke and I heard him twice. So apparently he shouted at David and it reverberated, right? So uh, he speaks to David. He speaks to Solomon. He comes to Solomon, who's David's son. He takes over as a teenager. He's nervous, doesn't know what he's going to do. And God comes and says, I'll give you a gift. What do you want? And he says, uh, I want wisdom. You know, it's kind of a famous story uh, that you probably just handed him Bible school and um, vacation Bible school, Sunday school, or CCD, for those of you former Catholics. Um, uh, he speaks to all the prophets, and, and this isn't even all of them, you know, but Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all those guys. He speaks to all of them. And then, you know, skipping now all the way over to the New Testament, he speaks to the Apostle Paul. He speaks to, of course, the whole disciples, because Jesus is God. But, um, the, the, you know, the word of Jesus comes to Paul on Damascus roads and knocks him off a horse and that. And the very last book of the Bible um, is a book called Revelation. And in it, it actually calls itself a prophecy. So he's, uh, he's speaking to John in that case as well. So uh, basically, uh, he is always speaking. He's speaking from Genesis to Revelation and never stops speaking to his people. Now, I, I want to c- you know, come back now to Moses for a second because it's interesting to me because this is really... Uh, characteristic or symbolic, what they sometimes call an archetype of God speaking to us because Moses is the law speaking for God to the people. And I want you to see something that one thing we know about Moses that made him unique is he spoke plainly to God. In fact, uh, his epitaph from God is there'll never be another leader like Moses because uh, I spoke to him plainly. And we see this in Exodus and Deuteronomy. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And it's really held out as remarkable. It's amazing that Moses had this kind of relationship. I don't know if you've ever read Ezekiel, but man, he did not speak plainly to Ezekiel, that poor guy. You know, he had all kinds of visions that scare me. So, uh, but Moses, he spoke to plainly, face to face like a friend. But here's what's cool. That was actually offered to everyone. And it sometimes gets missed, but actually God wanted that for all of Israelites. When he called them out of Egypt, he didn't mean to speak to Moses and have him speak to the people. That wasn't God's desire. God's desire was to speak to everyone the way he spoke to Moses because God wants to have the kind of relationship with everybody, including you, like a friend, face to face. And we see this happen right after Moses gives um, the Ten Commandments, you know, the famous Ten Commandments and everything. He comes down and God puts on a little bit of a show. 
as he walks out. And everything's thundering and lightning. And uh, he's coming down. He gives them what the Ten Commandments are. And there's this guard, God's, you know, the mountain of God is just, just covered in smoke and thunder and fire and all this stuff. And uh, Moses says to people, hey, God's here. He wants to speak to you. And I said, yeah, yeah, we don't want to do that. In Exodus 20:18, when the people saw the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. And they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, you know what? You speak to us yourself. We'll listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Now, you don't understand the reason they felt that way and the reason everybody trembles when they see anything like an angel is because suddenly we realize what righteousness looks like. And when we look at it, we understand how unrighteous we are. You know, you say, you can kind of think you're pretty good. And then all of a sudden you see what's really good and you realize I'm not good. You ever had that situation? I, I had that once when I my little tiny, short, little tiny roller hockey career, you know, we got a team together and we, we played with each other and, and, you know, we thought we're pretty good. You know, we could score on our goalie. And so we thought we're pretty good. And then we joined a league and we went and we saw real, really good teams and we understood what good was, you know, and it wasn't us, believe me, everybody scored on our goalie. That was the problem. And so, you know, it was like all of a sudden we realized we're not good. That's good. We're not good. And you can imagine if that's how you feel in a situation like that, what's like, if you think you're a pretty good person, I'm a pretty good person, and then you meet God. It's like, okay, never mind. I understand. So when they saw God in all of his power and all of his glory, they says, you know what, Moses, we don't want to talk to God. We want you to talk to God, and then you tell us what he said. And Moses tries to talk him out of it. He says, no, 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 look, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. That actually turns to be slightly prophetic words because they should have done that. But because they didn't go before God's presence, because they didn't get the sin out of their lives so they could do that, uh, when, when they actually are left alone for a little while, they go build a golden calf, and it didn't keep them from sinning. So Moses says, he's here. He wants to talk to you face to face. And they're like, nope, we don't want to do it. The people remained at a distance. Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. They would not want to do that. He said, forget it, forget it. So that was the first offer that the people rejected. And I think, honestly, again, remember, they're us. I think we would too. I mean, I think there's a lot of people like, you know what, God? Ooh, that scares me. Especially if you had a chance to see him come in his glory. Mm, I don't think I want to have that face-to-face confrontation right now with the high king of heaven. I don't think I do. And so uh, the next step is, well, what about if God speaks to you through the spirit? See, now you're a little bit of a distance from the mountain, but he can still speak to you. And Moses wanted that for the people too. Now, this is the gift of prophecy when God speaks to you through the Spirit, and then you, you know what he says the best you can, you, you, you speak it back. That's what prophecy is. What happens is uh, they get 72 people, and they designate, okay, they'll be like the elders of the different tribes. So they get 72 people, and it's really kind of funny because Moses says, okay, you 70 come with me to the tent. Two of them don't go. We don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Whether well, they're scared to go, they're hiding. So they're kind of hiding back in the supply tent. They don't go to the tent, uh, which is where the kind of tabernacle was. Moses goes with, with the 70, and they go there. And while they're there, the Spirit of the Lord comes. He doesn't come in all his glory, but the Spirit of the Lord falls upon them, and they start prophesying. You know, God's speaking to them, and they just said, God wants this. And then it's like suddenly they understand the, you know, the mind of God at a brief point, and they're, they're talking, and, and it's just amazing. But what happens, which is really funny, is those two guys that didn't come, who were hiding back in the back tent, they start prophesying too. Because the Holy Spirit found them. You understand the Holy Spirit isn't held you know, captive by a tent. So it, it found them, and they, so they start prophesying. And so when that happens, they go running up to tell Moses, this is weird, these two guys way back in the supply tent uh, all of a sudden start, start prophesying. So a young man ran and told Moses, this is in Numbers chapter 11, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Now Joshua, who's kind of like uh, the 
de facto assistant to Moses, has been with him forever, uh, speaks up and says, Moses, my Lord, stop them. They can't do that. They're in the wrong tent. You know, they can't be back there prophesying. And Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? No, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit upon them. That's what he says. This is what I want. I want everybody prophesying. Joshua, it's okay. I wish everybody in that tent were prophesying. You don't understand. This is God speaking to us and then us speaking God's words. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. That's what I want. Of course, he only gets a 72, as it turns out. So um, then, then the, God actually kind of later on in the Old Testament says that day is coming when Moses' dream is going to come true. That day is coming. He says it's going to happen, and, and he uses the prophet Joel to do it. He says, and it shall come to pass afterward, I'll come back to that word, afterward, uh, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Which is really important, by the way, that they specifically say sons and daughters. This is not exclusive to men. This is sons and daughters, men and women, everybody. The day's coming, he says, afterward. That the day will come when his spirit's going to be so rich on the earth that everybody is going to have the ability to have God speak to them and then they're going to speak out, this is what God is saying, right? Again, just in part, we only prophesy in part, but we'll have a little tiny vision of what God wants and we'll be able to speak it. Okay, now this is actually claimed in the book of Acts. So what happens in the book of Acts, you know, Pentecost, which, you know, everybody celebrates, you know, not everybody, I guess, but a lot of people celebrate the Pentecost. It's 50 days after Easter. So what happens is the, all the disciples and all the believers, about 140 of them, are gathered together, and the Holy Spirit comes and hits, right? And they all start speaking in tongues. And this is really kind of cool because what, is, what, it, what happens is everybody starts declaring the word of the Lord, you know, just reading scriptures in different languages, now, a lot of Jews are there because they came in for Passover, and it's in Jerusalem, so this is right there. And so a lot of them are there, but they come from other countries. So they have their native countries that they've grown up in, because by this time, Jews have been subjugated by the Roman Empire for years. So they've lived their whole life in some other country, but they know some Hebrew, they know some Latin, you know, but the native tongue is in these different languages. But all of a sudden, they hear their native tongue being preached to them from these people they don't know. And they're like calling out. Everybody starts gathering together to understand what that is. It's like, uh, you know, Victoria speaks Russian. And, uh, you know, I, I flipped on a Russian television show once. And it was on because it was about a dog. So I wanted to see it. It was subtitled, so I was watching it. And Victoria's just like, wait, that's Russian. You know, it's just like she wasn't paying attention, but it caught her because it's her native language. And she doesn't hear it very much. And so it caught her attention, you know. Or, you know, put it in something maybe guys, you guys would understand. If you've ever been, like, in Texas or something and walking around, you see someone wearing a Steeler shirt. It'd be kind of like that, right? It's like, whoa, in the middle of cowboy country, there's a Steeler shirt. Uh, so anyway, so it catches your attention. That's what happened. It caught everybody's attention. They came running out. What's going on? What's going on? Now, what happens next always happens. Somebody starts mocking the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes, someone's always standing by ready to mock. Because this is the devil. He doesn't want people to connect with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so somebody starts to say, oh, they're drunk. That's what's going on. And they're laughing. And so Peter stands up and uh, he gives the sermon of his life. Now, the way I picture this going, the scripture doesn't say this, is as Peter speaks, they continue to speak in the other tongues. But now they're re rely, you know, replaying what Peter's saying is what I believe was actually going on. So it's like, it's kind of like the United Nations, you know, and those translators and the people have the things they listen to, and that's happening. So he gets up, he says, look, um, he addresses the crowd, says, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully. These people are not drunk, 
It's only nine in the morning. I love that. Peter's cracking a joke here. Even Jews don't get drunk at nine. Come on. You know, can't be drunk. And that, that's good, by the way, because um, it's hard to crack jokes when you're being translated. I, I had this experience. You know, I'm not a full-time pastor. My other job, my other job, I actually went to Brazil to do a biz- business presentation. And I kind of have little jokes in my presentations and stuff in my slideshows. But I didn't think it would translate to Brazil, right? And I don't speak Portuguese, which is what they speak there. And uh, we even had some people from Germany there. So they set up these translation people. And so I had like this row of two people in front, not, not two rows of people, not two people, two rows of people spoke, who actually spoke English. And then behind them were all the Portuguese speakers. And way in the back, we had the German speakers. So they had the, the headphones on. And the Portuguese speakers, they kind of like that little, like just an earphone in, you know, because they kind of half hear. And so I thought, well, this joke isn't going to go over at all. You know, so I'm doing my presentation and I get to the joke part and I get a little tiny you know, titter of a laugh from the front two rows. And I'm like, oh, that's all I'm going to get. And I start moving on, and all of a sudden, the next row starts laughing, and then the, then the, then the Germans start laughing after that, because it just took that long for the translation to hit them, you know? I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting presentation. You really have to pause for the laugh lines now. So there's Peter. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't stop. You know, he cracks jokes. It's only 9 in the morning. So now this is what's spoken. Watch, by the prophet Joel. He's saying, this has been spoken. He's going to now quote the prophet Joel. He's going to, he's going to Take that one little word, and he's going to translate it for us deeper. In the last days, not afterward, he's specifically saying in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. He says, this was prophesied. This is the last days. And in the last days, the Holy Spirit was going to hit us, and we were going to do this, and that's what's happening right now before you. So let me ask you a question. If the apostles lived in the last times or the end times, when do we live? I mean, this always baffles me by the people who try to say that prophecy doesn't exist on earth. Why? Are we in the post-last times? Are we in the really end times? I mean, what, 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 because this is it. Now, you might think, well, end times, it's been going on for 2,000 years. Well, think about how long the world's been around. You know, we could very well be in the end times. Jesus could come the next, I don't know, 500 years, and it's still the end times. This is, this is the end, right? And so Peter's saying that they're here. Last times, the end times are with us right now. Well, if we come after that, guess where we are? We're in the same end times. And the prophecy from Joel has to be true because God can't lie. So the question then becomes, where the prophecy go? Because I don't know about you, but I've never really had an experience like that. And this is like one of my big questions to God. It's been my big question to God for before I became a pastor, but certainly for the past six years. Hey, where'd it go? You know, I don't, I don't see this exactly like that. Well, if you look in the Bible historically, there are times God goes silent. And every time that happens, the people claim to be abandoned. Oh, we must be abandoned. God has left us. But it's never been true. It's always true that people have turned from God. When the people turn from God, he even tells them, if you turn away, I'm, I'm going to go silent. And if I go silent, I'm going to wait for you to come back to me before I speak to you. That's not God, you know, being a passive-aggressive parent, you know, like, like my parents were, okay? Like if you're ever in the back seat, I had brothers, so we were always messing around in the back seat, you know, and they're driving up there, hey, be quiet, be, be quiet back there, you know? And then they're trying to tell us something, and we're like goofing around. They would just go quiet. Did your parents ever do that to you? You know, driving along, just quiet, you know, why aren't you saying anything, mommy? Why aren't you saying anything? Oh, you want to talk to me now, do you? You know, that kind of passive-aggressive thing. That's not why God does it. God does it because when he speaks to you, what he tells you, you're responsible for. You understand that? So if he tells you to do something and you don't do it, you're responsible for that. In his mercy, he's not going to tell you to do something else. Why would he? He's just heaping more on you. So in his mercy, he goes quiet. 
He says, I'm, I can't speak to you right now because you've turned from me. The other thing is that if we turn from him, we, we pull away from him. That's why James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He says, you're supposed to draw near to God. It's up to you kind of draw near. Otherwise, God's not going to shout at you. God whispers. He doesn't shout. He whispers. And he wants you on his lap. He wants to talk to you like a father would talk to a child. He doesn't want to shout at you across a room. That's not how God wants to talk to his people. So that's what we have to understand. Now, has God ever gone like that before? Has he ever gone dormant before? Well, there's been a couple times that he has gone dormant. One of them is kind of famous in the Protestant church. It's called the 400 years of silence. The Protestants teach that... um, this is, I, say, I make a distinction here because the Catholics actually teach something different. But the Protestants teach that between the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and the book of Matthew, the first, test, the first book of the New Testament, God never spoke. And they say that because there's nothing written down. If he did speak, no one wrote. So we don't have anything written down. So whatever God may or may not have said, it wasn't important enough to write down. So we have 400 years of silence. And everybody's pondered that. Why? Why was God totally, totally silent for 400 years? Well, he warned them it was going to happen. He said, if you don't start listening to me, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking, is what he tells them. And um, he, he actually comes in Isaiah, and he's talking to the people who are in the church, and they're fake teachers. You know, they're kind of like, they're not the real deal anymore. Not by the time Isaiah got there. They're, they're liars and cheaters and all these things that have risen up in the church. And they're trying to pretend like everything's fine. God's still fine. Everything's good. We're still God's chosen people. Everything's fine. And Isaiah is trying to tell him, no, it's not. And God sees this. And so it says this, it says, um, whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me? This is the Lord talking to them. He says, you, you must be afraid of a lot of people that you're more afraid of than even me. He says, uh, you don't even remember me. You don't take anything I say to heart because I've been so long silent. You've like forgotten who I am. I've been quiet for so long, it's like you completely take me for granted. He said, you don't even fear me anymore. You don't care. You, you are doing things in the church that should scare you right now. The cheating and lying and stuff that's going on in the church, uh, it should scare you. And yet it doesn't. You have no fear at, at all. He says, well, you know what? When next time you cry out for help, why don't you just go ahead and cry out to that collection of idols? Let them save you. Because you've put all kinds of idols up in front of you. You have, you have politicians in your idols. You have celebrities. You have money. You have uh, you know, all kinds of different things are your idols, right? And you, you, next time you have a problem, you go call to those idols to save you. And the wind is going to dust, blow them away like dust. A mere breath will blow them away. But whoever takes refuge in me will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. But he says, I'm done with you people. Let me ask a question. What would you do? Let's suppose that in, in 100 uh, BC, you were in charge of the temple in Jerusalem. Your job's a head rabbi, head priest, whatever. You're in charge. Now, God at that point, by 100 BC, has not spoken for 300 years. Now, this isn't a God that we're used to not speaking, right? From Genesis on, God's always spoken. He's always brought prophets and judges and all kinds of things. He's done miracles. But he hasn't spoken for 300 years. What are you going to say to the people? as they come to temple. What do you say on Sabbath? That'd be a Saturday, not Sundays, right? They're Jews. They come to ta- temple on Saturday. What do you teach? What do you say? Um, it, it, it's okay. God's not speaking. Yeah, okay. There's no prophets. There's no prophecy. There's no miracles. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. But the good, good thing you've got us, right? In fact, I think what you would hear from those people in 100 BC, which sounds suspiciously like this. You don't need miracles. You don't need anything more than this. What's being told today? You don't need them. You don't need prophecy. You don't need miracles. 
We got the word. We're good. It's, you know, lucky, lucky you. Lucky you. You don't need God to speak to you at all. You have the scripture and you have me to explain it to you. What I need for you to do is keep coming to church. Listen to me explain it to you. Don't forget to put your tithe in the tithe box and go on home and come back next week. That's what I need. And we're doing exactly what God wants. Don't worry. The fact that he's no longer speaking is nothing. We're fine. Everything's good. Just keep going the way we're going. And I'm saying, I've kind of had it with that. Because I don't think so. I think we're kind of the same position that they were in 100 BC. And our response needs to be to draw near to God. I think God still wants to pull us on his lap, put his arms around us, and whisper in his ears. And here's why I say that. The one thing I think we all agree on, every denomination I know of, believes on this. The Bible is the inspired word of God. I think we all agree on that. And, uh, you know, solo scripture. We, we believe scripture and scripture only. It's all that matters. What matters is scripture. But here's the thing. This inspired word of God says this. Follow the way of love. Sure. Eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. Oops. Especially prophecy. It's Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians. Here's, here, here, here's what he's saying. He says, yeah, you need love because we love teaching about love in the church, right? And eagerly desire the gifts. Well, you know, he's talking about the good gifts, not the ones that are no longer here for some reason. No, he actually calls out this one, especially prophecy. Why? Well, because if you speak in tongues, you're not speaking to people but to God. Those people were speaking that day on Pentecost. They didn't know what they were saying. God did, which is great. That's fine. No one understands them because they're uttering mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people, watch this, for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. Well, who wants that? You know, I want to strengthen you, Pastor Grace. I got enough strength. I'm good. I'm going to encourage you. No, don't bother encouraging me. And I don't like that comfort stuff. It makes me uncomfortable to be comforted. Who doesn't want this? Who doesn't want to be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted? In fact, I would say that most prayer requests I get fall in those three categories. Some all three. I need strength. I need strength right now, Lord. I need strength. I, I need to be encouraged because I can't keep going. I need comfort because things are hard right now. I need these things. And he says, here's how you get these things through prophecy. Oh, but God's not speaking to his church anymore. Really? Well, he goes on and, and he says this. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Edifies literally means to build up. To build, to build up the church. It builds up the church. He said, I would like for every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Here's, here's what I have to ask the people who say prophecy no longer exists. Then why does the inspired word of God tell us to ask for it? This is God's inspired word, right? It was written by the Almighty God and it was inspired through his people and they wrote it down so that we would have it. And when God wrote this down, he knew that Spirit Chapel Church would be here in 2019 and he knew we were going to read it. Why would he put it in there if he didn't mean for us to do it? Here's the other thing. From Moses to Paul, the greatest teachers of the Old Testament and New Testament, the greatest teachers both say, you know, who, you know what I wish? I wish you all had prophecy. I wish you all had the gift of prophecy. I wish God was speaking to each and every one of you, from Moses to Paul. I think, personally, they're on to something. I think they know something, and I think they're telling us that to try to exhort us to start praying for the gift of prophecy. More than anything else, we need to get the, God speaking to this church, this church and all churches. I'm talking about the, the church universal. I'm talking about this church specifically. We need God speaking in our lives. Because why? Because it builds us up. Because it strengthens us. Because it comforts us. 
Why, why would we want these things? This is what's happening. And the interesting thing, and we're going to be talking about this um, more in the upcoming weeks, is, is how prophecy has shifted in the New Testament from what it was in the Old Testament. We'll be talking about that. But I believe that God wants to speak not to me, but to all of us. You know, the idea is that all of you will have God speaking to you. And it helps, not, not for condemnation's sake or anything else. It's not so we can run around and point the finger and you have, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning. Not, that's not prophecy's point. The purpose of prophecy is to build up, to comfort, to strengthen, and to edify. And, and that's what it's for. It's to encourage us. Okay, one more scripture, and then I'm going to stop on that for now. We being many, Paul says in Romans, are still one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. What he pictures in, in both, uh, in, in almost all of his letters, is this idea of a community. Which, like it or not, that's what you are. Your community. Your community of believers. And, and the community comes together, and the purpose of the community is to build each other up. You can't do this alone. You know, we were told to come together as a community because you can't. I, I have people tell me this all the time. Well, I can pray to God everywhere. Yes, but you can't have a community help you everywhere. You need to come together and, and to bear each other's burdens. There is a thing I read a long time ago. Um, it's theologically flawed, but I like it anyway. This guy said he had a dream, and the dream was of hell. And in the hell, they had this huge banquet feast, the best food possible laid out in front of the people. But their hands were tied behind their backs. And they fitted them with these collars that had these spoons sticking out. And they could dip into the, the food with their spoon, but they couldn't get it to their mouth because it was too far away. And they were flipping it in the air and trying to catch it, and they couldn't. And the anguish on these people, they were starving, and they had food right there, but they couldn't eat it because that spoon just wouldn't reach. And then he woke up and supposedly went back to sleep, and he had a dream of heaven. It was exactly the same thing, but the Christians were picking up the food and feeding each other. I think there's something there. I don't think it's like I said, theologically maybe not correct. But this idea that the Christian church is supposed to come together and, 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 and serve each other and build each other up. That's the purpose. We're one body in Christ individual, uh, made up of individual members. Having then gifts differed according to the grace that's given to us. Let us use them then. He says if we have prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. As much faith as you have, ask for it. Ask for God to speak to you. God is saying that he wants us to hear from him. He wants to speak to you. Prayer is wonderful. It's great. We pray to God and we get to say whatever our heart desires to God. Whatever's on our heart, we get to say to God. But when does he talk back? When does God get to speak back? You know, I have a cell phone here. It works both ways. It would frustrate me to no end if I picked up this phone and talked to my wife and I couldn't speak back. It would drive me nuts, you know? It's like I want to say something, but I can't because my phone only works one way. How does God feel about our prayers? And we say everything we have to say, and he says, but I have things I want to say to you. Nope, sorry. Don't have time for that right now. Don't want the gift of prophecy. Uh, I just want to tell you what I want. That's all. No, God wants us to have a relationship with him. That's a give and a take. That's conversation. That's talking to him and him talking to us. We need to stop being afraid of this because God told us in the Old Testament and the New Testament to ask for it. And I believe we're supposed to. I believe we're supposed to ask for the gift of prophecy. And I'm going to talk more about what that looks like and how this works. We're going to kind of walk through it uh, from a theological standpoint in the next several weeks. But I just want to lay this out. I want everybody here to get excited about the idea that God can speak to you and wants to speak to you and will speak to you. Let us pray that God speaks to us in a way that makes us better people that can worship him more fully because we know what he's doing. Would you all please pray with me?
Heavenly Father, I...